truth. Oh, 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 yeah, yeah. Let's forget. Raise the roof to your desire. Ain't nothing this forget. You've got to take yourself higher. of the Purple Notes Unveiled podcast. I'm Richard Cole, and listeners of the program, I know it's been a long, long time, so you're probably thinking like, man, where'd he go? He only had three episodes and he's gone? No, just thought I'd dial some things back a little bit, uh, come back a little bit better and stronger. Uh, Hopefully you've had a chance to check out Amari Music Talk on YouTube. Uh, That's mostly where I've been, but now back on the Purple Notes Unveiled podcast. So definitely welcome back. If you're new to the show, welcome. And let's go ahead and get it started. All right, so uh, this episode, we're going to go into the quantum realm, travel the multiverse, and explore a world in if in which Purple Rain flopped. Now, I think my inspiration for this episode, you know, um, Prince has a vast catalog. He's been around many decades. You know, very few artists get to you know, be around that long. I mean, not just, you know, in physical form, but just, you know, just making music consistently. And, you know, while a lot of artists kind of have their classic period or, you know, they have their string of hits during their younger years, you know, as they get older, uh, maybe the quality hasn't, you know, there was no lacking in quality, but, you know, as generations change, tastes change, things of that nature, you know, sometimes, you know, it's, it's, you know, business is like that sometimes, you know, music business can, you know, you have your ups and downs and, you know, sometimes you have your slump periods, but I noticed, you know, with this particular fan base that, you know, there seems to be this sort of you know, vilification of the thing that brought that artist to your radar in the first place. You know, I mean, there's, you know, Beatles fans, you know, they may favor Abbey Road, they may favor the White Album, you know, there's a lot, like, in my case, Revolver is my favorite Beatles album, there are people, you know, Rubber Soul is their favorite Beatles album, and, you know, we all acknowledge that, you know, Sergeant Pepper was a great achievement. And, yeah, a lot of, you know, hype and myth, you know, that has sort of, you know, latched itself on to the legend of that album over the decades. You know, it we're able to kind of separate fact from fiction. And it doesn't lessen what an achievement that album was, you know, the sound innovations, you know, genres 
for you know the next several decades have benefited everything from classic rock to hip-hop has benefited from those changes you know and I think without that success without that freedom to create such an album then you don't get to the White Album you don't get to Abbey Road you know but you don't see those fans like I said, vilify, like, you know, people bring up Sgt. Pepper and they don't go, oh, God, oh, Sgt. Pepper, oh, that, that album wasn't, oh, that album, you know. <clears throat> you don't hear that. You really don't. Um, you know, Bob Dylan, who's had some ups and downs, you don't hear that. You know, it's like, of course, you know, some love the classic, the 60s period when he was the quote-unquote voice of the generation, you know, but he had some really strong albums in the 70s. Then he kind of took this turn into kind of like doing Christian music. And, you know, while that divided the fan base, you know, here you have decades later, they drop box sets focusing on that period. The fans embrace it. Or they go and, well, you know, it's like, well, hey, you know, yeah, that was kind of weird. That was kind of left field. But, you know, there's some, some strong material on it. But, you know, when it comes to Prince fans, though, it's just like, oh, I like this era and no other era matters. Well, I'm sorry, you can't, you can't take a human being's existence and just chop it up into pieces. I mean, granted, that's your favorite, you know, the 90s were your favorite, the 2000s were your favorite. That's fine, but none of that would have taken place had it not been for whether he was making his bones on his first few albums, you know, that kind of kind of middle period with controversy, 1999, you don't get to Purple Rain, and if without the mega success that that brought, and granted, yeah, that type of major success, yeah, it does have its downside as well, but I think he was smart enough to be able to distance himself from that, and just because he distanced himself, it wasn't like, oh, this is such a terrible period. It's just artistic license. It's just, you know, his artistic integrity to where like, yeah, okay, the, the momentum that it's gaining, yeah, it's bringing some financial reward, but that's not enough. You know, I still want to be able to do the type of music I want to do. And with that success, to be able to take that, build Paisley Park, whether the Vanity Label or Paisley Park, the you know the institution the studio you know to be able to have that freedom to go anywhere he wanted after that and and to bring some strong material from parade to side of the times to you know love sexy to you know having that access to something that could where he has the freedom to do whatever he did in the 90s whatever he did in the 2000s and for me, you know, it's, you know, it's like we're that generation that me personally, I like to think we grew up with the artists, you know. Now, granted, you know, there's some people that was just like with Prince, it was just one of the other musics, you know, it was, you know, it was happening at the time, but then so was Cameo, you know, so was, you know, Guy, so was New Edition, so was this. So they kind of look back at that period with a certain fondness 
and it's just like oh that's just the memories of our youth and you know and it's it's personal you know just like you holding on to the 90s or the 2000s is personal you know so you know I, I don't get the like I said this vilification for it it's just like you know we're in the 40th anniversary of Purple Rain and yeah we should celebrate it because like I said if not for that achievement you know then like I said we don't get to parade you know we don't get to sign of the times we don't get to you know for me like I said I, I like to think I grew up with the artist so it was like cool you know once the 80s were over with and it was kind of like okay you know well graffiti bridge you know graffiti bridge to me was a great sounding album the movie not so much but like I said it was still a great album uh, Diamonds and Pearls still a great album but for me by the time like 93 94 95 hit and the songs that were coming out even though it was kind of tainted by this battle with Warner Brothers so that affected how we were getting the material when we got it but man to me that period as far as hearing about the songs that he was creating to me it was just as exciting as the uh, the 80s it was just you know i was like you know late 20s going into 30 but feeling like 17 because it was like man you know this is excitement again it wasn't just like okay you know here's a graffiti bridge here's the diamonds and pearls okay well symbol album was what it was but this stuff you know and it was forward moving it wasn't like oh he was sounding like the 80s with that stuff you know to me i think he was doing for me what i felt was that he was in prince lane yeah there was still a little hip-hop elements and those elements are debatable but i think overall when it really started focusing on the songs when it started to focus on the funk you know when it started to kind of go in rock you know heavy rock or classic or whatever you want to call it that was exciting that was like man you know it was him maturing because it's like yeah the 80s were the 80s but yeah that was him in his earlier 20s you know that was me late teens and early 20s you know that was a different time and like I said um going through the journey emancipation post uh, emancipation I, whew, you know it, it it was exciting it, to me it was always just as exciting you know because it's like you know it should be like a friend and I get it you know where some people were younger and it's kind of looking at this elder statesman and then you look back at when he was younger and depending on your level of maturity like you know kind of each generation it's a kind of a thing to where yeah you kind of more mature than the previous generation but then in other areas not so much you know and it's kind of you know you, you've got this figure that you're kind of looking up to where as we were experiencing it in real time you know it's a thing of it was somebody we were looking up to but it's kind of that thing it was kind of like in step you know it wasn't like he was the voice of our generation or anything like that no I don't think that was the case but I think it was a thing of you know it's like hey I'm going in this direction who wants to go it's like oh that direction looks kind of cool let's go in that direction 
And I think, you know, just kind of as he was maturing, as we were maturing, like I said, I like to pride myself on being that type of first generation fan, you know, and not a put down to, you know, wherever you are in your journey, this first generation, you know, just kind of looking back like, you know, kind of like the Stevie Wonder song. I wish those days would come back once more. You know, it's like, yeah, those were fun, exciting times, but you know, I don't think I don't want to sacrifice now despite all of the trials and tribulations that have come over the decades I wouldn't trade it in now to go back to being there permanently because I don't, you know internally, I still feel the same, you know but you know, on the, on the spiritual level and as these outer shells as you know as we age you know that's just part of the journey but if you still feel great within if you can still feel great within then you know then like I said you can look back at that and you can smile or you could go like man I've come through a lot or I've learned a lot or I had a lot of fun in those days but inside I feel like I'm having just as much fun now and, you know, and like I say, you don't get to that level of maturity without a certain thing happening. Yeah, maybe some things you could have done without, but you wouldn't be the person you are now had you not gone through this experience or that experience or had this level of success or this level of failure. You know, you wouldn't be the person you are now. And you just have to kind of be in the now and say, hey, you know, you know, whatever that experience was, it was what it was. But, you know, if you keep moving forward for the positive, cool. If you look back and go, man, that was rough, but I choose to stay in the positive. So I'm going to take everything I've learned. This is here. This is now. This is what I'm dealing with. Let's keep moving forward because it's not too late. So, again, I don't get this vilification for, um, I don't get this vilification for, Purple Rain at all, you know, like I said, this is the 40th anniversary, and we should definitely celebrate it, so in a roundabout way, that was, you know, my inspiration for this particular topic, and I'm going to cover as many aspects of this as I can, you know, starting with its history and significance, you know, both the film and the movie. I mean, both the film and the album. Uh, the album was released June 25th, 1984. It doesn't feel like that. I don't know why I felt like I bought the album later. Um, but, you know, that's summer of 84. I think I remember... I don't know. I remember... I, if I remember correctly, I think I got Ice Cream Castles first. And then the Purple Rain album. I can't remember. I have to kind of really reflect on those days but uh, the album came out June 25th 1984 the film came out July 27th 1984 um, the film had a budget of 7 million uh, it's box office uh, I think domestically was like 65 to 68 million um, I think it might have grossed 70 million 
worldwide. Um, but, you know, the film, you know, I, you know, when we first heard about him making a film, you know, like right around 83, um, to me, that was like the most exciting time for me as a Prince fan, because it was like, we've come through like 1982, from summer, late summer of 1982 until the summer of 83, you know, there was the Times, what time is it? There was Vanity Six album, um, 1999, and to me, it was like sort of the, the epitome of this like underground, this kind of like thing. It's like, yeah, those records were successful. They got radio play. They were major R&B hits. And with the case of 1999, it was slow to get there, but it was crossing over. You know, by 83, you know, allowing, MTV allowing black artists on with Michael Jackson being first, Prince possibly second. You know, then there was the beginning of where those songs were crossing over. But that 1999, as far as mainstream, as far as pop, it was struggling. You know, us in R&B, we embraced it. You know, the black charts embraced it. And that was kind of the status quo up until, like I said, 83. And, you know, Little Red Corvette, um kind of caused people to kind of go back and say, oh, let's check out this 1999, this album. And while that album had been out so long, you know, it did pick up momentum, but it didn't pick up enough momentum for, you know, Warner Brothers to have any major confidence in what Prince was doing going forward. Um, but it was contract renegotiation time and, you know, probably shout out to you know, who Prince had his management, you know, Prince had his demands and management was able to negotiate and, you know, have those demands realized. Making a motion picture was one of them. Um, but we never really thought like it was going to be this major success. I think it would have been, my personal thinking was that it would be something as a Prince fan that I would enjoy. It would be deep. It would be kind of you know, what is this going to be, you know, who's in, like, oh, Van, you know, at first, Vanity Six is in it, like, the time is in it, and it's like, oh, okay, so it's going to be, like, this cool little thing, and, you know, it'll probably do what it does in the theaters, and, you know, we'll buy the album, and, you know, maybe the album will kind of get a little bit more success than 1999, but maybe anybody outside of Prince didn't realize that this thing was going to be as major as it was like i said 70 million worldwide which in those days you know that's kind of the equivalent of say a movie with a 20 dollar budget well let's put it this way the success of purple rain is the equivalent of success to what say a tyler perry movie would be given you know that tyler perry makes his movies depending on what year but you know on average say 7 to 20 million and they make a few hundred million in the box office, you know, so they make back its budget plus the marketing and the rest is money in your pocket at that point. That's what the, the equivalent of Purple Rain success money wise in those days, you know, adjusting for inflation. Um, but it was a risk. It was a gamble. Um, 
and something magical happened in July of 1984 that this thing became you know the the it was like one of the best rock films since like a hard day's night you know um, that achievement number one album number one single number one movie you know nothing had been done like that since then and I mean granted you know there's people that's gonna argue well what about talking heads making sense that was a great concert that was a great um, rock movie and um, what else was around there? there was there was some other rock films but uh, like stop making sense that was more like a um, concert film or the song remains the same Led Zeppelin that's a concert film uh, to which years later sign of the times gets mentioned in the same breath as those films but as far as like this sort of quasi fictional you know loosely based on real people type of a film with us with a plot and a story beginning a middle and an end mixed in with some great music yeah nothing had been done like that since a hard day's night you know with the with the Beatles um, but again, this was a major, major risk, major risk. And we all know what came after that. You know, there was a major tour. This was sort of, you know, now we're getting, speaking of Beatles, this is Prince's equivalent to Beatlemania, to where it's like every household knows who he is. You know, even households that never would have thought of buying a Prince record or buying you know anything that's not you know hair metal or black sabbath or kiss or van halen or something like that you know now they're like oh let's check out this prince guy you know this purple rain let's check that out um you know um girls screaming where you know next by the time madonna comes in they stop screaming at prince and going to go scream at madonna or you know whoever's the next big thing that you know the Pete you know the so-called powers that be decide oh that's going to be the next big thing and you know not think of it in terms of oh I'm going to get into this artist because they're a great artist and explore their catalog you know whether they have hits or not you know um, but like I said we did not realize how important this was um, but again, you know, we all know what came after. So he rebelled against that success with Around the World in a Day, um, made a stronger album with Parade, um, but a, depending on who you talk to, a lesser film, Under the Cherry Moon, then comes Sign of the Times, the building of the Paisley Park facility with all that Purple Rain profit. You know, that was a $10 million um uh, facility you know um, if he had you know just off of his record sales and if Purple Rain even well I think probably with the way the Purple Rain album sold I think it still probably would have been possible uh, for him to do that but like I said after you make back your seven million and then the marketing for that maybe in those days who knows maybe two million roughly in those days for your marketing by the time those ticket sales paid that off 
everything was money in everybody else's pocket. That money in Prince's pocket, you know, money in Warner Brothers' pocket. So who knows? You know, like I said, if it was successful, if the album was successful, and maybe not the film. Mm, who knows? Um, but yeah, I mean, like I said, it opened all those doors uh, to get to the point whenever you stepped in to listen to Prince. So like if Diamonds and Pearls was your gateway, Purple Rain was the door that opened that up to make that possible. If, you know, the 90s or Musicology or 3121 is your gateway, you know, then Purple Rain was the major success that kept his name in as many households to reach your radar. Um, you know, but going back to pre-Purple Rain, you know, you had success like, you know, I mean, well, you had his first album, For You, um, which, you know, 19, even though he was claiming, you know, 17 at the time and the, you know, good PR stunt, like making him a lot younger. Cause I think, um, cause I think Suge Otis, by the time I think he was 19, had, um, oh God, I'm drawing a blank on the album. Uh, information, inspiration, oh, let's see, I, it'll come to me in a moment. But um, that album, and while, that album wasn't a major success. You know, that was one of the youngest people at the time to write, produce, play all the instruments, write all the songs on the album, of which that album, Strawberry Letter 23, the Brothers Johnson's cover of that song was a major success. Um, but For You was kind of on that level, you know. Um, somebody that's well under 21, that's writing, producing, playing all the instruments on the record, you know, that's a major achievement, you know. Um, but, you know, given that that's his rookie album, you know, it went over budget. Um, the songs weren't major hits. Um, you know, Soft and Wet was one. I mean, it was, I think it got to, what, 17 on the charts, I think. Um but I remember like being 12 and not really being aware of that record. Um, I remember hearing it. Um, it was on the radio. I think like by summer of 78, I'm hearing it. But like the DJ was playing it in that block of songs, that commercial free block of songs where, you know, it's just flowing from one song to the next. And it's like, man, that track is, that's a nice track. Who is that? And never get to hear who that artist was. And, you know, granted, the next album was more successful. You know, he did have a major pop, you know, maybe barely top 10 hit with I Want to Be a Lover. But, you know, as far as the R&B charts, you know, that track was very successful. And that album put him on the map. Then he did a complete left turn with Dirty Mind. And then that solidified the type of artist that we're getting you know that this is like this ain't some just some dude just making R&B try to no, know this dude is going to be an artist like Sly Stone he's going to be an artist like Jimi Hendrix you know he's got 
the swag of the Rolling Stones. He's got the chops of Santana. Um, you know, kind of on that genius level like Stevie. You know, he was now being mentioned in that vein instead of just like, oh, he's just some, you know, young disco Smokey Robinson Bee Gees wannabe, you know, or Michael Jackson wannabe. You know, this is, you know, Dirty Mind was the one that said, no, he's his own artist and this dude is going to be in the game for a while. Um, but, you know, those are momentum. Those are success stories. Every artist has that, you know, where it's like they start here and then each album gets better and better and better or it goes to the next level, to the next level, to the next level. And then we get to we get to Purple Rain. Now this isn't my original copy. My original copy was so well worn <laughs> that I ended up like a, a former co-worker gave him that record to to decorate his music room. Like you know, put all these album covers up on the wall and you know the albums on the wall or something like that. But um, I got the 180 gram vinyl pressing I think this was from 2015 this pressing and then the CD um, I kinda at one point just had gotten rid of my um, original print CDs because I was always just so dissatisfied with the sound quality you know to where now you know we're starting to get those things remastered slowly um, I got the Sony reissues of the classic Warner Brothers era catalog. Um, some gaps that I ended up having with the later material. Um, and while those aren't remastered, um, they do have to conform to the mastering standards of Sony. So it's a, the quality is a little bit better. Um, like I said, looking forward to eventually having remasters of things that we don't already have yet. Um, and then, you know, there's this remaster of Purple Rain. Um, you know, I may revisit this again and talk about it. But what would have happened if all of this flopped? You know, like, what if the album flopped? Or what if the album and the movie flop? You know, so let's look at what if the movie flopped and the album succeeded? So, like I said, with the major success of Purple Rain, the movie, the album, the tour, and I think just that combination of success, you know, that avalanche of success and adulation. And meanwhile, now, you know, you get to that level of fame, you got people coming at you from all directions, you know, from the type of people that Cat Williams talks about to, you know, people just want to feed off your energy. You know, you don't know who your friends are anymore. You don't, you know, things have changed. You know, you got people like, oh, okay, now you're the star now. Okay, you don't have to ride the bus with the band anymore. No, you get your own bus, you know. Or, you know, um, to 
maintain now you're at this level to where you don't have just the band you got a whole bunch of new employees now because now you're at that level of success you have to maintain it and now you can't be the cool you know hey we cool now you know it's kind of like okay I'm giving you an order and that order needs to be executed you know and that's that fine line you know you can't be as cool as you want to be anymore you can't be as friendly as you want to be anymore and I'm sure all of that was weighing in you know and like what choices it's like okay I like being at this level of success for the money that it brings and with the money that it brings the type of freedom I can have in this area but all these other areas are becoming stifling so he creates around in the world today as sort of um, you know as a as a rebellion you know or as Questlove would say that one self-sabotaging album because you know it's like you at this level of success and it's like well instead of doing Purple Rain 2 or 1999 2 I gotta do something so far to the left that only my deepest truest fans are gonna keep up with it and that was around the world today but what if Purple Rain flopped then you know if the film flopped if the film and the album flopped then around the world today would be a different album um, in the case of okay this flopped now you got the record company on your back because you either owe them money now or they're at this thing like okay well you weren't the major success we thought you would be you know um, you're a creative person you know you wrote some great songs you've had a few hits but we want your momentum to keep going so what happens you know so it's kind of like it's a flop does he have to honor the contract now <laughs> like okay well yeah this next album better be the hit so around the world in the day as we know it would be a different album like maybe some of the songs because those songs were being developed as Purple Rain was getting ready to come out meaning that between the time that he was finishing the songs for that album and writing for the time and Apollonia 6 and Sheila E you know uh, the family was just you know that was beginning beginning stages of that project um, I think you were just getting Maserati signed to Paisley Park so I guess there was that Paisley Park that vanity deal label deal with Paisley Park so you had the family you had Maserati uh, coming into the fold um, meanwhile Morris left Jesse left and you know what if you, on top of all of that you got this mounting pressure of this film that seven million dollars was spent in an album that didn't do as well you know it, it I think it still would have been successful the album still would have gone number one um, he would have had some that built off the crossover success of say you know Little Red Corvette but I don't think it would have sold um, in the tens of millions I don't think I think it would have done you know probably um, double platinum maybe triple platinum um, which would have been cool um, maybe four four million or you know it could have 
been on that wave still, but I think, you know, the film, the album, I think if you take one piece out, that whole structure just kind of falls apart. But yeah, Around the World in the Day would have been different because it would have been like, okay, now, do I take, um, do I take Screams of Passion and keep that for myself? Um, do I take this song, keep it for myself? Man, I was going to give Andre Dance Electric, but man, I need that pressure. I need that hit. Do I need to take that back and write him something else? Um, you know, so the, the way that we hear around the world today would have been different. Or it may not have even been, he would maybe he would have scrapped the whole concept of Around the World Today. Meaning like, okay, do you, you know, what songs do you cherry pick from that album that would still be good? But like I said, that pressure to have a hit is kind of like now, dude, how does, you know, if I take Screams of Passion back, how does that fit? Or do I put High Fashion on? Or Mutiny? Or, you know, does... A whole nother album kind of go into this black album style mode meaning like there's this attitude like oh I'm not funky anymore or oh I'm told I can't hang with the rock cats oh let me see what we can do <laughs> with that so yeah definitely around the world today would have been a completely different album and that would have affected the, uh, the trajectory of everything moving forward because with no confidence with a, a non-successful film then there's no budget for around the world today Warner Brothers isn't going to sign that check so there'd be you know the parade album as you know it either wouldn't exist or that would be a completely different album or it might have jumped from dance electric you know that I say that because that's my imaginary album title. So like if Around the World in the Day never existed, then you would have had like the Dance Electric album and then maybe from in eighty five and then from there, you know, maybe something would have come out in eighty six or you would have gotten signed to the Times in eighty six. Who knows? Like I said, it's it's something to think about. It's definitely something to think about. Um, so along those lines I think it would have been more of an attempt to be different creatively than to distance himself from the myth and the hype of what Purple Rain eventually came out to be so so the motivation where around the world today was meant to rebel against the success of Purple Rain take away that success then it flips so there's this pressure to come up with not necessarily a commercial album but I think that like I said with something like a dance electric if he kept that to himself how would that have how would that have gone um, screams of passion keeping that to himself how would that would have gone you know or the one thing to think about because it's when I hear things like about you know say imaginary Beatles reunions, you know, how, or imagine if the Beatles never broke up, and it's kind of like what fans do, and I've, I've done it too, where you take um, 
cherry pick whatever songs from the solo albums and you make a little playlist and say, you know, if the Beatles never broke up, this album would have had those songs on it. But one thing we never consider is that sort of unknown factor that, okay, like I said, Purple Rain became this major success and therefore it influenced the trajectory of everything that was to come, you know, like the next album led to decisions that informed the next album. And then those decisions, whatever was going on, led to the formation or the songs that became part of this album. So if you flip that, then what else in the universe would you come up with? So if you flip that success of Purple Rain, saying that if it flopped, and then there was this other type of pressure. So instead of rebelling against success, then you're making artistic decisions on another level. What kind of songs would he have come up with at that point? So if you think about, say, the stuff on Parade never would have come to fruition if he was influenced by something else. If he was doing something, you know, another project that had nothing to do with an Under the Cherry Moon film. Like I said, the songs from around the world today, a lot of those are already in circulation uh, just prior to the film's release. So that obviously would have still existed. And some of that still would have ended up on whatever, say, like I said, it, around the world today would have been a different concept of an album. Um, or if he created an entirely different album altogether. And in that universe, we're looking at like, man, I wonder what that around the world today album sounds like. Because he was working on that. Then he shelved it because Purple Rain flopped. And then he went and came out with this album. You know, so, you know, what songs, you know, what type of songs would he have come up with? You know, not to say that he wouldn't have or they wouldn't have been great. But, you know, imagine a world where there's this Prince song that we know nothing about because it only exists in that particular universe. Man, that would be heavy. But again, you know there would have been more of an attempt to define himself creatively than to really come up with an album that was designed to distance himself from that sort of illusion of that sort of Elvis, Beatles, Michael Jackson style of success that, you know, in the hands of a weaker person would have broken them a lot sooner. Um, the tour would have been different and I think because the way the Purple Rain tour became so stagnant because it was designed to be like okay let's entertain these people like I said that have never bought a Prince record or they never bought an R&B record or they never bought a record from a young black person like that before or whatever you know, you had to do those same songs. And a lot of times those performances were meant to mimic the performances you saw in the film. So I think that if he had still toured, which would have helped the success of the album, I think that that tour would have been different because it would have been more diverse. I think it would have been more kind of like what we got with, say, you know, the 19, you know, the tours prior to the Purple Rain tour and definitely the way he toured 
after Purple Rain. I, th I think we would have gotten some kind of combination of that or it would have gone in a different direction, which, like I said, would have influenced, a, you know, different songs. Like I said, that only exist in a universe where things turned out differently with Purple Rain. And I already discussed how different Parade or Sign of the Times would be, um, whether those albums would exist, whether only in title or certain song choices, um, songs out of the ether that would have become hits instead of the hits that we're familiar with. Uh, so definitely different albums would have emerged. Um, and then how would the trajectory of his career and mindset as an artist, how that would have been affected? So, like I said, one possibility. What if, okay, he was in the midst of compiling around the world today, album flops, movie flops. Then it's like, okay, I'm going to put this on the shelf. I'm going to put this in the vault. And I'm going to wipe the slate clean, start from scratch, and come up with something totally new, totally different. Um, would he have come up with an album and just an album that would have been a monster success that still would have gotten him there but maybe not as much pressure or it would have influenced the next couple of albums ahead to where yeah that album was a success but you know his mindset is already on the next one or two albums anyway that it would have been the pressure to rebel against that success. It's just like, okay, let's do this album, let's get this tour out the way, and let's get ready to drop this album so I can go ahead and work on the third, fourth, fifth album that's ahead of what I'm already two steps ahead on anyway. Um, would he have wanted out of his contract? So would you know we've seen that sort of tug of war with Warner Brothers you know kind of starting with Sign of the Times um, we've seen that play out in the 90s you know that freedom ownership that became his mission statement for the rest of his career after that um, but you know what if this was the flashpoint in 84 85 to where either he blames them and wants out of his contract or what if one of brothers decides to drop it and what kind of artist would we have if either one of those things you know my personal theory I think that he would have ended up being kind of more of a Frank Zappa type of artist um, in a way that there's no Paisley Park you know he's scaling everything back he's scaling it all back um, whether it's the family whether it's Sheila E Jill Jones Eric Leeds um, you know I think that they would have been brought kind of more into the fold kind of like when you get 
a Frank Zappa album, you know, there's a certain cast of characters, and what I mean by that, like, you have, like, there's different band members um, that lends itself to a particular project, um, like the whole um, uh, overnight sensation, apostrophe period, you know, you had, with Frank Zappa, you had George Duke on the keyboards, you know, musicians of that type. I think earlier, prior to that, uh, you had uh, Flo and Eddie. You know, they were the standouts on particular, you know, Frank Zappa albums, <coughs> excuse me, and tours. So I think you would, you know, and later, I think in the 80s, you had Steve Vai, um, fantastic guitar player, um, into the fold. You know, but it's still Frank Zappa, so it wouldn't have been this thing of, you know, here's this protege album, here's that protege album. I think it would have, he would have been in a financial position because at this point, like I said, there's no Paisley Park. You know, there's no $10 million because, you know, your movie flop. And granted, maybe the album would have been successful, but if it only sold, you know, $10 million, I mean, like if it only sold $3 million or something like that. And he was barely getting a quarter per record, you know. Nah, he, there, there's no building of Paisley Park at that point. So, you know, as an artist, you know, like I said, you dialing it back. And like I said, I think that they just would have been brought into the fold, and I think he would have been more independent, like Frank Zappa. And that's the thing, you know. Let's forget about hits. Let's forget about what Billboard says. Let's forget about how many billions of streams Spotify you get and all of that, you know, forget all of that, you're a success upon creation. And, you know, Frank Zappa's had a wide, long, diverse career, you know, the majority of it as an independent, you know, calling his own shots, owning his own masters, you know, his, the recording studio in the house, you know, state-of-the-art recording studio in the house, in you know, little bit, career about Lowell Canyon, you know, just the studio, and I don't know where his vault was, I don't know if that was in the house too, if he had like a, a wing built to accommodate that, but however Frank stored his vault, I think that's, you know, eventually how Prince would have stored his vault, I think, you know, it would have been like that, and he would have been more independent, he would have had ownership from day, you know, from post Purple Rain on there would have been that ownership and then maybe be in a position to get those classic masters back a lot sooner without painting the slave on the face and changing the name or anything like that I don't know that's just my personal personal theory so you know not as a superstar but I think he would have survived as a more independent artist uh, with a niche following because hey, you own your product, you control your distribution, you know. So you making seven bucks per album instead of a quarter, or you know, I think Michael Jackson, I think by Thriller, had negotiated up to like a dollar fifty per record at that point, which was pretty big um, compared to what any artist, regardless, you know, probably even Whitney Houston. You know, or even a lesser, not lesser artist, but a lot of artists you enjoy wasn't getting a dollar fifty per record. And really a quarter would have been too much to ask 
<laughs> in that negotiation table. You know, they would have been like quarter per record. Are you crazy? We're not getting. <laughs> you know, go sign with somebody else. You know, we get a quarter. <laughs> you know, so you know, very few people got those type of those type of royalty points on that. So, but that being said, like I said, he would have, you know, he would have been a niche artist. I think he would have stayed on that level like we always had enjoyed it, you know, between say Dirty Mind and 1999. Um I think, you know, those records would have been at least that successful and being an independent niche artist like that um like i said he would have been able to come out with anything he wanted to there'd be nobody to challenge him, nobody to say oh well, we can't put that out you know they just you know it's like the, the heavy lifting has been done you know he's recorded the album it's just hey help me get this into a store at this point um and like i said definitely owning his masters from you know that would have been like i said there wouldn't have been the, the battle would have been a lot smaller because like I said if if it stopped at the level of success stopped at whatever 1999 or again if Purple Rain only sold 2 million 3 million maybe even 4 million copies or whatever then it would have been easier to negotiate getting those masters back because you know it's on the strength of Purple Rain that that battle had gone on for so long you know, or the fact that, you know, post-1995, he owned every master after that, you know, and sorry to say, folks, you know, it's, it's kind of like, we know you like Prince on that level, but are you on that level with, say, Stevie Wonder, you know, like, when you get, whenever Stevie drops a new album, you know, do you think that's the greatest masterpiece? I mean, the Stevie Wonder, of course, is going to be great. But it's that classic material from the 70s. You know, he had a bunch of hits in the 60s for sure. There's no denying that. You know, even if the 70s never existed for Stevie, he would have been remembered just for, you know, Science Still Delivered, Uptight, My Sharing Me he would have been remembered just off of that alone. Those are some great records. For once in my life, that was a big hit. But we always go back to that 70s period. You know, we go back because that's the classic period. That's your money period. You know, there's no, you know, there's no tour, you know, for, you know, in, in the case of Prince, there's no tour where you can go on tour and not play your hits and everybody embrace it had it not been for Purple Rain. You know, it doesn't work like that. You know, it's that success that gave him the confidence to keep moving forward. The the money, you know, like I said, even though he could have made more if he owned the Masters, the Purple Rain at that point. But at that time, the money he was getting for Purple Rain, both the film, the record, that was still money you could not ignore. And it allowed him to do so many great things. So many great things. But you don't, you know, that's the thing. It's like, great, you love the new stuff, and that's good, you know. Music is subjective. But, you know, we got to stop this, you know, crapping on the old days, you know. And us first-generation stuff, we got to stop stepping on these young folks, too. Because, you know, it's like, look. Regardless of 
what our feelings are about the estate, you know, and I don't know, you know, what the family members are getting, you know, but I think the ones that, you know, either the ones that have sold their shares, you know, for the, the quick money and that was in the tens of millions and they now get to live their best life and they don't have to really bother about certain decisions or be pressured about certain decisions. You know, they, they wanted their money now and they cashed in or the ones that's like, yeah, they cashed in, but they hold on to a percentage, you know, so that way that long money that starts coming in, then they're still getting a little something, you know, so say if the 10 million, the 20 million, whatever they got, either that got spent or that set up or, you know, like I said, if these are decisions that we don't think about, you know, we just sit here and play armchair quarterback like, oh, this should happen, that should happen. But, you know, just forget about all of that for a minute. You know, forget about what our feelings are. That's money that's on the table. And, you know, it it's kind of selfish for us to think that, okay, well, we bought this record. You know, we bought this CD. We bought this cassette. You know, we watched the video. You know, we bought the movie ticket. We bought the DVD. We bought the VHS. And because we bought that, at that particular moment in time, you know, to mentally or emotionally say, you know, screw that period. It's like, nah, you affected the money that's on the table. And, you know, the whole thing about what Prince would have wanted when he was here, there's none, none of us, none of us, I don't care who you are, <laughs> I don't care what platform you are, you know. I don't care if you met Prince. I don't care if you, you know, for two minutes <laughs> compared to people that have worked with him day and night or lived with him day and night compared to those. Those people are probably the only ones qualified to say, I think this is what he would have wanted. But because he didn't let everybody in and they were that close, you know, none of us are qualified. You know, none of us are qualified to make those type of decisions but it is selfish for us because like I said we bought that record we bought that movie ticket we bought this we bought that we bought that DVD we bought that blu-ray bought that album cassette CD whatever that it's like we own it and it's given us years of enjoyment or it's comforted us in the deepest darkest times of your existence it's selfish for us to comment on the totality of that man's career and chop it up and divide it up, you know, I'm sorry, you know, like I said, us first generation folks, we got to stop crapping on the, the younger folks for whenever period they came in, you know, they're, they're enjoying it. That's th this point forward, us first generation folks, there's a time we're not going to be here anymore physically on this plane. And for Prince's relatives, his nieces, his nephews, those generations to come, they got to eat. They got to eat. And by, like I said, regardless of what we feel about the estate, who's running it, that's a different topic of conversation. But as long as those family members are getting something, and then like I said, there's, there's this like, you know, he didn't speak to them when they were, ain't no family person. 
No family's perfect. You know, if you got that Brady Bunch type of existence, good on you. You know, if you've done the best that you absolutely could, good on you. But this is just music. This is just the uh, the greatest funk rock genre busting artist in the world, but he's still a human being. You know, we have no right to comment on, like I say, that chopping it up and holding on to it. You know, I don't want to go back to high school. <laughs> nah, nah, it was, it was a drag enough the first time. <laughs> you know, it was, it, yeah, I don't want to go back. You know, I like being a grown adult, you know, and living life exciting, you know, not to say that it, you know, didn't have some fun moments then too, but that's the thing, you know, when you keep harping back on something like you want to go back there permanently, then something's lacking to where you can't enjoy life now. But then that's on you to figure out, you know, you have to take responsibility for your existence. But like I say, you know, we got to stop all this division. This is the only fan base I've seen. And there's other fan bases, and they do have strong comments about certain things. But at the end of the day, they'll count, you know, if they're waiting for something to come out, then they're, they're, the way that they initially hear it, it may put them off. But, you know, the minute that project drops, they're like, oh, wow, this is great. It may not have been what I wanted. Or, yeah, this may not be the best release that they've done, but wow, this is better than what I thought it would be. You know, they embrace it. You know, like I say, regardless, you know, they got their, you know, folks got their favorite album. You know, they got their favorite era of a certain artist, but they don't beef with each other. They don't, you know, yeah, I like this album, be, you know, because it's not like that decade and it's not like, you know, that you know, this little backhanded bullshit with, you know, like trying to tell you, you what you like sucks. It's like you dealing from that deck. You suck. You know, that's just that's just it. You know, it's just it's, it's the one man, you know, it's the journey, you know, and it's OK. Like I say, I, I'm not a fan of the Planet Earth album, but I do listen to it from time to time. And there are songs that I do enjoy listening to it. But, you know, outside of the good natured ribbing. But I don't do that every episode. I don't get on here every episode and say, hey, you know, let's talk about Purple Rain because it's not Planet Earth, that crappy album. You don't hear that. You don't hear that. And if I have somebody on the show that says that they absolutely love the Planet Earth album, then let's discuss it. Let's talk about it. Let's find out about what you like about it. Let's find out, like, what you like. <laughs> and maybe that'll, you know... It, if not, say, myself, then whoever's listening is like, oh, well, what's this Planet Earth album all about? Well, you know what? I'm going to go check it out. And they check it out, and it's the best thing they've ever heard. And that leads them into getting into whatever, 3121, musicology, where they go all the way back to For You. And they decide, you know, like, okay, they may cherry pick some albums, or they may want to eventually want to get the whole catalog. That's the deck we need to deal with. You know, that's how we need to roll as a, as a community. Let's be this community. So, uh, you know, I know this was, I think originally this was going to be a Patreon exclusive. Um, going to change this to an early access. Um, I was going to do like a companion piece 
and put it on YouTube. But I think now, having gone through the flow of this uh, discussion, I think that what I want to do is go ahead and make this, you know, like I said, early access and let's get, the, you know, YouTube and let's get as many people to check this out as possible. Um, like I said, because it's something to think about. It's definitely something to think about. But that's it. You know, what if Purple Rain flopped? Where would Prince be? <laughs> so, um, like I said, I hope it gives you something to think about. Um, again, thanks for tuning in. Thanks for, you know, checking out the tunes. Got some new stuff coming. If you haven't seen on social media, a little early first look or first listen to the track Hold On is going to be on the uh, Reset EP. Definitely check it out. It's a work in progress, so everything sounds a little weird right now, but it's still funky. But can't wait to finish that and get that out to you. Um, but again, you know, um, become a Patreon supporter. Seven, seven day free trial on the one dollar uh, tier. So dip your toe in, and if you like it, it's only cost you a dollar a month to do that. Some interesting perks even on that level. Early access, bonus content. Um, just check it out. Um, YouTube, like, subscribe, hit the notification bell. Um, hope you checked out the bar that I'm going to put down on the bottom. That's all the social media uh, contact there. So, you know, let's try to be a fun community like these other fan bases. Like I said, they got their strong opinions too, but you don't see them putting down other fans on there. You know, not what I've seen. You know, like everybody's least favorite, least favorite is somebody's favorite. And when they post it on their social media, like, I love this album and all the comments. Oh, yeah, great album. Or, you know what? I've never heard this album before. Let me check it out. So that's how we need to start rolling as Prince fans. So until then, create your day, create your life. See you next episode. Bonus content for Patreon coming up next. YouTube like subscribe and stay tuned for the next whatever this is purple notes unveiled podcast i'm richard cole peace Stuff you burn